everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name is Richard. I'll be your host for the equinox, or just after the equinox. We're just past the longest day of the year, 21st of June, and um, which means that we're the days are going to get darker. The skies are going to get drearier. Uh, the sun is going to disappear an awful lot earlier, but do not fret my dear hearts, because I am here to bring you a little bit of sneakiness as well as a little bit of joy. I'm going to bring you a little bit of honour as well as a little bit of maybe, I don't know, a little bit of nastiness. Because I need a little bit of valour in my life, but at the same time I need a little bit of villainy. And they've been here before to tell me all about their valour and villainy. But they're not just here to talk to me about their minions. They're here to help me get lost in the maze, nay, the labyrinth of Ludwig. So joining me, I've got James Van Niekerk, who is here to talk about his follow-up to the minions of Morduck, which is Valor and Villainy, Ludwig's Labyrinth. Hey, James, how you doing? Hi, Richard. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> I'm doing well. I I took a I kind of I had to take a run a run up. I went back to the door. I love it. <laughs> I took a huge run up. I took a huge run up, <laughs> and I just dived in. And now because I'm quite old, I'm a little bit puffed, so I'm probably going to need a minute or two just to get my just to get my head together. But um, no, for if we set the way back machine back in the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, before before we were washing our hands, um, yes. we, we, we you were probably washing your hands. <clears throat> you were probably washing your hands. You you sound like the type of person you just wash your hands. Well, you know, in it, just out of courtesy. I like to wash my hands. I would I would be decidedly average on the bell curve. Yeah, exactly. When it came to personal hygiene. <laughs> Personal hygiene. Now we're I'm all not as far as doing the... <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I'm not at the point where I wear my underwear back to front and inside out to make it last four days. <laughs> right. But I must admit, I am. I am. I'm comfortably at the point where I'll pick a t-shirt up off the floor <laughs> and sniff it as to whether or not I can get away with wearing it that day. <laughs> Or because stand, standards have slid a bit ever since everybody's working at oh, home. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, I, I don't think everybody wears a clean shirt every day when they're going to the office. I think some people, you know, they wear they wear something smart on top, and they just wear their sweatpants <laughs> kind of underneath. Oh yeah. But um, it. <laughs> <laughs> but back in back in January 2019, we had a different conversation. We had a conversation about miniatures and jars. Making up rules for Warhammer yeah. 40k with your with your brother, and that was before you know. And then at the time, obviously, I think at the time we did exactly the same thing because at the time you said, "Hey, it's like when's your Kickstarter?" You went right now, and I was like, <laughs> "Okay, do you want to come on and talk about it?" It's like, "Well, we better because there's no point in talking about it after the event." <laughs> so um, you had the same conversation, which was, do you want to have a chat? And I was like, yes, let's have a chat, but I'm not podcasting as much. Let me come back to you with a date. So we kind of arranged it. So we're talking round about the time with the Kickstarters now. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Um, let's cover off the first game, Minions of Mordak. Mm-hmm. It funded. Yes. It ended up funding quite well. It jettisoned you 
into some extremely nice kind of comments and criticism from people after after the event, actually after getting the game. Because everybody knows about Kickstarter and you're never going to have a quote on there that says, that's all right, it's a fine game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'd rather maybe go for a walk than play this game. But you actually had kind of like beautifully positive feedback on the Minions of Mordor. Yeah. Did you feel... Did you feel pressure? Because this is your second, this is your difficult second album, as they would say, James. <laughs> yeah. Did you, <laughs> did you feel a little bit of pressure when you were coming to the follow-up? It's hmm. a good question. I, well, there's certainly pressure because I want this to be awesome and I want to make, I've always kind of pushed forward with the, let's create a game that I really want to play. And I'm just going to push on that idea like over and over again. Uh, so the first game let me mm-hmm. make like a, it was a one versus many really fun RPG. Uh, there's dice rolling involved. There's uh, lots of fun cards you can play and it's got a strong theme. And then this one, I, I've i been loving legacy games with all of my friends. So that was kind of the beginning of like, well, I want to try something. I want to try to see what I can offer with this game system and that game format. And I kind of mashed them together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely, uh, and also the other thing was the original game was one versus many, and we got so many requests for co-op. So uh, so this game yeah. is full co-op. Um, and there's ways you can play these new villains with one versus many um, as well, but that was the main difference. But I think in terms of pressure, it was almost relieving to have all the feedback from the first game when I was designing the second one because you could really see yeah. what people were loving, what they weren't, and we were able to kind of pivot a little yeah. and address those things. It was kind of like your ability to do kind of like a director's cut, wasn't it? Yeah. You were able to go back and maybe tweak tweak the stuff that didn't quite work, mm-hmm. and then and, and and kind of build on the stuff that everybody kind of really really enjoyed. Yeah, kind of I could I could list off a bunch of examples of like the things that we have done that were pretty much done because of all the fan feedback. Um, you know, game length is is faster in the new one. Um, before, mm-hmm. we had magic characters in the original game, and we also had melee and ranged characters. And the melee and ranged characters yeah. um, were a simpler way to play, in a way, because they didn't have all sorts of cards to mess around with. They would run around and be able to hit really hard, and they could level up their melee dice and things like that, but they didn't have all sorts of tricks. But what we saw mm-hmm. was people loved those tricks, and uh, they loved the, like, reactions and being able to save each other from a tight situation so in the new game we've basically added a a million ranged feet deck uh to both those classes of characters so that they can draw those like fun reaction spells and take part in the game when it's not their turn uh a Mm -hmm. lot more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so in terms of like the game the game development because obviously you've been working with um with skybound on this Mm -hmm. Were they were they keeping an eye on over the shoulder and saying, right, okay, this is did this did really well. Do you have a second game? Or did you already have kind of like a pile of ideas sitting on the other side of the A4 piece of paper mm-hmm. to say, well, actually, if we're gonna continue to do this, I'd like to have all this included as well, please, if possible. <laughs> well, uh, pretty much after the success of the first campaign, Skybound and I were already kind of discussing the idea of a second one and then Mm -hmm. i think somewhere along the line they said we'll make a proposal so i i did that and i kind of thought about what i wanted to be in the box and the idea that this was like Mm -hmm. it's a standalone game uh, but it's also fully cross compatible with the first one and i think what that does is it right okay it means you don't have to be a returning customer to buy this new game you could just buy the new game and not the original and, and have a perfectly fun time yeah um and because it's a it's a co-op and the old one was a one versus many, um, it's kind of nice that there's a entry point for either audience uh, to play the game. Was it also was it fairly nice to kind of get back and just get back on the horse as opposed to having to be kind of completely starting from scratch? There were certainly good things about that. Um, yeah, and I think because this one has legacy components and a full campaign you can play through. Um, starting from a point mm-hmm. where there is already a solid game that I know works, it helped a ton 
Mm -hmm. I've seen Rob Davio and other uh, legacy designers say something along those lines that like, it's super important when you're designing a big campaign to have a game that you already know works. So that's why it works well to do legacy games as like a follow-up to an original. So in terms of the legacy elements, is it, is it go is is it introducing kind of new things as you're playing the different rounds? Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm seeing big envelopes. Yeah. If I'm looking at the pictures right now, it looks like big envelopes. Now, when I see something like that, the first thing that kind of pings off in my head is um, Mechs versus Minions, mm-hmm. which had you know you opened up the base game and then as you were playing the game, you you basically you were unlocking kind of envelopes the same like zombie kids and zombie teens you're kind of like you're opening up envelopes which are offering kind of more characters or mm-hmm. more mechanics or in some cases a, a a more difficult kind of version of an enemy to defeat yeah so is that is that kind of how is that how how it's kind of working that's uh, pretty much exactly what it does um yeah so one of the developers on this project his name is brian neff and he works for uh he's worked on a lot of legacy games like uh betrayal legacy and uh, mm-hmm. a few others anyways um he offered a lot of good uh insightful feedback on how to make um just the right amount of content unlocked and opened every single game so that you're kind of so essentially um this is a legacy light game where you're not destroying any components um we're calling it legacy yeah. light because i guess legacy has connotations of ripping up cards and you, you don't really do that uh <laughs> in fact you don't do it at all everything could be reset and put back to the way you bought it just by kind of uh reordering a numerical deck which is like um there's a, all right, okay. a deck of sideboard cards that don't start in your game of unlocked uh, goodies but as you go and as you make certain decisions then you discover card 131 yeah. which is this new spell and that new spell gets added to your spell deck mm. and then every subsequent game of the campaign you now have that spell as like one that you could draw um in the future and uh, mm-hmm. so like in that way your uh, permanent unlocks are recorded by just which deck which cards are sitting in when you put away the game um and then they could be reset by kind of pulling all those cards apart at the end if you want so at the same time, if you get to a point in the game where you're kind of like, well, we've got, we've unlocked this, 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 and this, can you kind of almost have the game in a status and say, right, okay, we can just play the normal game just using these additional things? Because what one of the things, and the reason I'm asking this is one of the things that happened in like both the zombie kids and zombie teens is that, <clears throat> and even in mechs versus minions, is that you weren't, it wasn't an obligation. It was a fun, it, but it wasn't an overall obligation for you to open up and discover every envelope that was there. Mm, yeah. You know, you could kind of almost put a hold in it and say, right, okay, let's just, I really like this setup, guys. Let's, you know, let's just play with this setup for the next two or three games because I really like how the bat, what's been brought in with this, you know, the, the different powers and stuff like that. Yeah. Is that is that kind of what you're able to do as well with mm-hmm. um with with your game? So every every new there's eight campaign acts, which are like acts are what we're calling the missions that progress the main storyline of the campaign. Um and then there's side quests. Mm-hmm. There's eight side quests as well. And you can kind of do them in whichever mm-hmm. order you can mix and match. You could also just play the eight campaign missions, have finished the game and the storyline and not bother with the side quests if you don't want that much content. Um, but while you're mm-hmm. going through the campaign at any point, you can also pick up free play games, which are just like essentially putting a pause on the campaign using a unique set of events that belong to this sort of random free play mode. And uh, you'll be seeing mm-hmm. new content that way that's um, that's kind of random, but uses the bosses that, you're, um, that you've unlocked from the campaign. And yeah, I like that. That appeal. I like the set. I like. I like the kind of the sandbox type thing where you can kind of. It's like a little buffet to say, well, let's kind of, let's kind of play it this way. That kind of always appeals because it allows you, gives you more control over the difficulty and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So those main acts, they're the ones that open the big envelopes, and each act starts with an envelope mm-hmm. opening, and you discover a new villain. Often, the new villain often brings new mm-hmm. game mechanics that you haven't seen yet. Um, and in that way, mm-hmm. so one of the cool things we did with this game is like, you can actually just open 
the game, read the first uh, paragraph of the rulebook and start setting something up. And there's a tutorial that is mm-hmm. like a scripted in-game how to play um, where you're essentially yeah. flipping yeah. through a deck of cards and moving a character around on the map and going through all the actions that characters can do at following along these cards, Yeah, um, which is, uh, it's been met with some real positivity from the reviewers who've tried it so far. Um, because it's a way to kind of learn the game through action instead of like digesting all of the uh, <laughs> all the rulebook right at once, and then the campaign continues that idea because you're after the tutorial you're equipped with just the basics actions you can perform in a turn, and then the first mission mm-hmm. introduces the first like enemy actions and what they can do like some of the keywords that they bring into play, and then the second brings in a villain who now is throwing spells at you. And then the third brings in like a final boss battle where you actually have to fight an AI boss. So it is kind of inching you into the gameplay instead of throwing you in the deep end all at once. I think that's what people, uh, well, no, I'm not going to say I think that's what people want. I know that that's something that I I like. It's something that I really found um, refreshing with, well, as I say, with mechs. Mechs versus minions was exactly the same thing. Here's a basic board. This is you. You just moving the guys this time, mm-hmm. and then okay, we're just going to be moving. You're going to be moving the mechs this time. Then you're going to be moving the minions this time. Then you're going to be, you know, and then it kind of built up the kind of the mechanics and the programming and stuff like that. And you're totally right about the reviewer side of things because sometimes, um, as somebody who writes review f- reviews for games, sometimes I want a rule book just to have a page that says, "Right, stop what you're doing. We got to this page." I know you've set up, let's start moving stuff about because you start moving stuff about breeds a bit of familiarity. Mm -hmm. And if I can get you familiar with the base mechanics, then that means that as I introduce new concepts, it's going to be easier for you to to kind of grasp them and to start having fun. Yeah, exactly. You know, and also as as somebody reviews, the quicker that I can get actually playing your game, the more times I can experience your game, because normally, funnily enough, reviewers are usually on a set <clears throat> on a set time. You mm-hmm. know, the pandemic's kind of made things a bit kind of timey wimey and wavy gravy kind of thing because, you know, it's made it difficult for people to kind of get together and have games. Mm-hmm. So sometimes my ability to get into a game and play it is really is really really kind of important, and can affect me kind of thinking well i'm gonna i'll easily rinse through this you know i'll get four or five plays out of this and then i'm gonna put my thoughts together to oh my goodness i'm gonna have to play this game it's absolutely wrong what was me i'm gonna have a cup of coffee instead and then have a cry <laughs> about the rule book kind of thing so this is this is kind of impressive at the end of each mission well and each turn so the game has these systems where you read entries when the villain plays a turn so the villain will play a turn and then you read a little entry from the book and it's a story entry that has like some of the things mm-hmm. the villain's doing to you and maybe they're laughing at you through an intercom or whatever they're doing. Um, but because there's sort of those ticks that you're used to following, we can use those to you know, tutorialize some of the things. Um, we've done a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, play testing, beta play testing where people are recording without the designer sitting in the room and, uh, so then we're able to watch those recordings and see where people are getting hung up. And one example is like, um, we noticed a few people, the first game they were playing, were messing up the way that scouting worked. And so at the end of the first round, mm-hmm. we have kind of a cheeky, like, take a moment and examine the map. If you've placed any tiles illegally, then you have to pay this consequence and you should go read the rulebook entry for scouting. Um, but, you know, Seventy <laughs> percent of our audience might not ever have to pay that consequence, but the other thirty percent, we catch them and make sure that they are playing correctly, and they're not going to go on playing through the whole campaign wrong. You know, I was I was going to say, how difficult was it for you to kind of include stuff? And uh, and what I mean by this is, like, when you normally design a game, you'll add all your bells and whistles. And then somebody will come along and say, right, this doesn't work. You need to strip everything down to the basics again. Hmm. But you had almost like an extra channel to collect all these lovely bells and whistles. So how 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 tempting was it to kind of say, well, actually, I'm just going to put this in this envelope here because I think that's cool. 
did you almost have to fight to say, well, listen, we need to include this in the game. We can't have all the nice stuff kind of locked away in order to kind of encourage people to kind of play the game no matter what state they found it in. Oh, you mean like, uh, are you talking about pacing? Like at what point do you introduce which content? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I think we had we had, um, we had had to work on that a little bit because Act 1 and Act 2 don't feature a boss. And we, we feel like when the boss mm. comes in, that's like the most exciting part. And every act after that features a boss fight. Um, so it does mm-hmm. mean that in terms of pacing, we have two sessions where you're going to sit down and play and you don't have a boss. So we did have to make sure that those were both fun and also fast so that you weren't... Um, so that you were, because they're they're extending a tutorial through Act One and Two, but they're also introducing you to mm. all the concepts that you need to learn. So there's a lot of like fun story. There's still fun unlocking and things like that that we've sprinkled through those first two events to make sure that those missions are just as engaging as the later ones. Um, it was at some point in development because the first game had one villain, and the second game started with one villain, and then when we started talking about the mm. the campaign as like a bigger uh, eight mission progression, we were like, we kind of instantly realized that this would be way way more interesting and cool if there were a new villain each time you played or at least a bunch of different ones. So that's when we added, uh, there's actually five villains that come in Ludwig's Labyrinth versus the one that come comes with Minions of Mordak. Now when we, um, with the new villain designs and bringing them in, now when we originally spoke, that you know, you had been pretty much one of the you know the main artist on the game. I think at the time you were working for a, a maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but you're working in kind of like the gaming type industry. Mm-hmm. Um, um, is that still correct? Or are you now? But yeah, so I doing this. Full-time? I'm doing this full time actually. Uh, this project wow. was a bit of a leap to me to try this out and see what I could make it work. Mm. So, so uh, yeah. So that was uh, a year and a half ago or so that I started this project in earnest, and I had been working on it before then too. But uh, so yeah, it's been, and I'm I'm the artist and the game designer for this uh, project, so it's a pretty big role. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask because, you know, the the one thing about uh, the first game was that, you know, the conversation that we had was like, yes, I have to spend all of my time drawing cards and stuff. <laughs> in, fa- in fact, I'm pretty sure you had to say to me, look, if I'm ever distracted when we're talking, this was the first time around, it possibly could be that I might be drawing <laughs> or have an idea that I need to kind of scribble down. But this time, I mean, so you're—I guess—in order to keep the feel, you had to keep the kind of the same artist. So were you kind of like going, "Great, I've signed another deal, <laughs> honey. I've signed the deal. Yes, it does mean I'm going to be doing all the work. Yes, it does mean I'm still going to be doing all the art upstairs. That's okay. No, you're fine. Yes, yes, I will see the kids at some point. Yeah. Um. But again, did again with you then bringing in all these other things, were you able to say, right, in terms of the art style and bringing in these new villains, did that allow you to kind of go a bit, kind of um, be very, very creative in terms of the villains? Because I'm looking at the villains on the Kickstarter campaign and you've got little, you know, robots and minotaurs and people coming out of mirrors and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And were you just like going, well, let's just write down lots of adjectives and nouns <laughs> and put them in a hat and just mix them up and, and just start drawing the things. Well, it's funny how that all unfolded because it started as a game. Uh, so the first Minions of Mordek is set in like a countryside and it's all open ground and there's mountains and lakes uh, that you're kind of passing over, but mostly your characters can move laterally across the map, whichever way they want. Um, one of the first yeah. things that that I developed for this game was the labyrinth uh, as a as a new map type to play on, and it is essentially yeah. this kind of Pac-Man wrapping, wonky uh, twists and turns thing where you're exploring, you don't know what tile you're going to flip next, and it might be a bend in the wrong direction, and now you have to deal with that. So um, 
you're trying to find these locations within the labyrinth, um, but also as you're scouting, sometimes the labyrinth hits you with a dead end and you have to go another direction, or maybe it bounces you across the map right. and you have to kind of bounce it back. Mm -hmm. You have some agency over which way you're scouting, but it's kind of, uh, there's also some random draw at play there too. So anyways, once we were set inside a labyrinth, then that kind of just sprung into, let's make this labyrinth as creepy and terrible as we can. <laughs> And that's brought it to <laughs> let's make as many creepy and terrible villains as we can that are still sort of set in this uh, in this zany kind of uh, style. Was it because um, one of the things, one of the bits of feedback that was said at the first game that you know everybody really did like the art. You know, they were very, very complimentary. Mm -hmm. What was it like then? You know, and you had obviously a range of miniatures and everybody kind of like loved the miniatures. What was it like now getting a bigger range, being able to go even bigger, not having you getting the villains and actually going, wow, these minis are cool. And I designed them. How kind of cool was mm -hmm. that? <laughs> it's so cool. Like I've been always into miniatures my whole life. And uh, so I guess the, the first game we had another artist design the miniatures for so I did the artwork mm, and that artist yeah. designed the miniatures um, and they did a great job. Um, this game, I I made a swing at doing that myself because I'm also a 3D artist. And, and a 3D work is sort of how it's a part of the process for me. To, to create 2D art, I sort yeah. of build it in 3D as part of my process. So this time, because I knew that these characters would one day end up as miniatures, I kind of planned for that from the ground up. So that means like none of them are holding wow. like dainty little weapons that would be a breakable piece on a miniature. And that's kind of right from design yeah. from the get go. Um, but it's been, it's been the most fun for me. Like designing the miniatures is easily my favorite part. It's, uh, and it's really cool to see them. It, I think when you've got the whole set, it's going to be really impressive. And these new bosses are, uh, they're almost twice, or maybe more the size of some of the original heroes. So they're, yeah, pretty, yeah, and they're pretty impressive on the table. I like the fact that on uh, on Ludwig, you can detach the arms, yeah. so it does remind me going back to your Warhammer days. Of, yeah, you know, remember Space Space Crusade where you had the actual dreadnought, and you could switch the you could switch the weapons at your peril and try not to kind of break the prongs and stuff yeah, like that. Sure. But you've actually got. This thing that does look like a mixture of Ed 209 and kind of a evil Optimus Prime. Yeah. That you can switch the guns on the switch the guns on the characters as well. Yeah. So is that like did you kinda of, who came up with that? Was that your idea or did somebody come in and say, Let's let's make sure we can change the guns? So because I mentioned that the <clears throat> beginning of the game just had one villain when I was initially designing it, the boss AI deck for that villain mm -hmm. um essentially had four themes to it because there's four stat lines in the game. So there's like melee, ranged attacks, uh, yeah. corruption, and magic. So this boss, the robot guy, he would use all of them in sort of a random pair of two. And then mm -hmm. that got me going on those arms because basically he might be, it makes him replayable a lot, even more so than the other villains because each time you play against this boss, he's going to randomly pair two of those decks and mix them together. So he might be like a melee and magic mm -hmm. boss one time or a ranged and corruption boss another time. And now that can get sort of represented on the miniature itself by slotting in the arm that like coincides with the decks that he's throwing at you. So in terms of, and in terms of kick, let's move on to the kick, kind of the Kickstarter side itself. Mm -hmm. um, obviously we've had the, <clears throat> we had the major spanner in the works, which was obviously the the kind of the coronavirus. Yeah. Which that in itself brought some challenge to you. Challenges in terms of kind of like kind of like play testing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I guess in the first game you had the ability to swan along to the local group and say, "Hey guys, do you want to try the? Yeah. Do you want to try this game? I mean, what? How did you go about?" I mean, even with you having kind of like, I guess you did have the resources of Skybound behind you this time. Yeah. But what, were there were there challenges regarding kind of getting the game kind of play tested and getting it in front of enough people to kind of check over the mechanics and stuff like that? Yeah. So I was lucky in a few ways because, firstly, I had a game that I knew worked <laughs> right from the start. 
So then I wasn't like, mm. I wasn't totally relying on playtesting and iteration just to get like a baseline that was fun. I already knew that was there. Um, and then the second mm -hmm. part that I was lucky about was that when I started working on this project was like six months before the pandemic really landed. And so that meant that I had like, yeah, and that was, that was only time that I was focused on designing the nuts and bolts of how you play uh, and what's fun about it. So it wasn't, I wasn't working on artwork then. I was just kind of going on the game design. And that was a time when I could play it in front of my friends, see their reactions on their faces and know like, okay, this is what's working, what isn't, and massage it a little bit to get it uh, swimming. And then later in the pandemic, uh, I haven't played my game physically since. So that, that's been a challenge for sure. I saw somebody post like a, yeah. a little image of like pandemic life of a game designer. And it was like, um, are you smiling? Are you smiling? <laughs> Who's there? Who's talking? Uh, tell me on your face. What is your face doing? You're frustrated? <laughs> because, you, you know, you're trying to like physically read what people are experiencing and you're doing it with this weird like, like disembodied head uh, talking voices over a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Did did you um, did you go down the realms of like tabletop simulator or tabletopia or yeah. uh, any of those tabletop kind of things as well? I, I will just say that tabletop simulator saved this project um, because it allowed us to wow. to keep playtesting while we were all locked up in our houses. And uh, it changed mm -hmm. changed the way that I would have been playtesting. Like I probably would have been tweaking and tweaking a physical format of the game using local playtesters in person. Instead, I was uh, playing on Tabletop Simulator with people and also like, uh, because Skybound brought a whole slew of playtesters that are part of their audience, I was able to give the simulator to those people and have them play through the whole campaign. And then they would send me recordings. Mm -hmm. So I get just like, hours and hours of video of people playing my game and I'd listen to what they're saying and watch it on double speed so that I could kind of get through at a reasonable clip. Um, but made uh -huh. tons of good, really good notes that way. Was it good for like blind play testing then? That's what I it think was. You watched recordings and you went, what, what, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why, are you, why are you doing that? That's not what you do. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's definitely challenges with and frustrations with the fact that I couldn't play it physically and, uh, you know, at times you feel like you are designing something for other people because you're not experiencing it yourself. But I did play it as well with uh, yeah. with the game developer, with playtesters, with Skybound. So, you know, I can't wait to play it in person, but it's uh, coming soon for us here in Canada. Not quite there yet. And what's, I mean, in terms of, because of obviously the, the it's been well documented, the kind of the approach to, the U.S. kind of lockdown, mm. which is very much kind of state by state based. Um, in terms of in terms of where you are in Canada, has it been kind of like? Has it been fairly strict? I can't imagine it being less. <laughs> I can't imagine it being less strict in America because that was basically, you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> uh, we've had yeah we've had some real real quarantines. Um, at first, the very first, like when everyone was getting their first wave in Manitoba, where I live, we somehow managed to dodge it. So our first summer was kind of a breeze by comparison, but then we got hit hard yeah. in the second and third waves. And uh, so this past, wow. you know, two months, I've been kind of isolated to my house with a two-year-old that's bouncing off the walls. <laughs> um, no way. Yeah. At some points they like shut down all the playgrounds and we couldn't go outside to see friends, even outside. So we were just kind of like, what do you do with a two-year-old at that point? <laughs> Guess we're going to be doing puzzles again today. <laughs> just introduce them to you. It's like that kind of thing is you have that conversation where you say, do we let them watch YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> do we? Yeah. <laughs> There's bound to be. Because there are literally on YouTube there are literally like 10 hour videos of just some kind of random, I don't know where they are. They're in like, you know, they're like kind of Russia or something like that, but it's just nursery rhymes with somebody's used mods from GTA five. 
<laughs> and just kind of like pretty much kind of made the characters look like the Marvel characters. Yeah. And they play nursery rhymes over it. This, this exists. I'm Anybody's sure listening does. along, right? <laughs> if There's nursery rhyme. There's like nursery rhyme videos where they've used GTA five mods or whatever to have all the different kind of Hulk Marvel characters. <laughs> They're all just jumping about, jumping through cars. And it seems like, you know, madness at the time. But for some reason, it captures the hearts and minds of toddlers, and they will just stare and watch this thing forever. So you can actually do things like have a shower. Oh, yeah. Or <laughs> get something to eat. Yeah. Or, you know, go to the shop and stuff and kind of stuff and kind of stuff like that. Um, are things are things easing where you are now? Because mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm in Scotland and we're basically, we're like saying it was meant to be this week. And then we've kind of we've been caught with this new Indian Delta Plus yeah. kind of variant. It's like somebody's naming the coronavirus after um, episodes of the Fast and Furious yeah. kind of franchise. Because <laughs> we've now got the Indi- the Indian Delta Plus version. I'm pretty sure there's going to be an Indian Delta Plus gluten-free version. <laughs> there's also going to be the Indian. There's also going to be Indian Delta Plus Tokyo Drift, <laughs> which I believe is going to be coming along and coming along uh, October, let's hope not. November. I really just, <laughs> just like I'm quite. You know, I I'm really worried about what's going to happen when I meet people in person for the first time. I'll be completely honest with you, James. You guys are still it terrifies uh, me to socially interact. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, we're kind. No, we can kind of like meet people outside, and everybody can go to like the shops, and we're not like totally on lockdown. But like, and the schools are open. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we can't. We're not like kind of like got the total freedom to do what we kind of what we kind of can, which is um, I don't know when that's going to happen. And some people are like, well, I like working at home, so it's quite happy to have all the variants yeah. kind of going about if it means that I can, you know, I can go to work in my um, in my loungewear <laughs> or my pajamas, as you would say. Um, but aside from that, the other thing which has been hit pretty badly, I don't know if this is like a perfect storm. Obviously, with China shutting down, mm-hmm. we've seen essentially the entire kind of um the entire kind of uh, logistics industry traveling from the manufacturers in china into europe and america just crash um with prices kind of going through the roof and things like that um did did you have a discussion with kind of like Skybound about the Kickstarter and the kind of the current situation and things like that with regards to kind of fulfillment and logistics and has it has it even affected kind of like the fulfillment or did it affect the fulfillment for um for the Minions game? Yeah, uh, for yourself. Well, the the pandemic certainly did affect the first game because uh, right the week that we were supposed to go into production, all the factories shut down in China for the first time, and then. Uh, so yeah. then we just got pushed back and back and did introduce a lot of uh, hiccups for us there. So we did deliver late on the first project, but mm-hmm. that was a part of the reason. Um, but then, yeah. so now Skybound is delivering a game after my uh, Minions of Mordak game called Wonderland's War. And, and yeah, they're facing some really... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's they're just facing some really tough situations with uh, sea crates, first of all, being astronomically more expensive to fill up a crate to ship overseas, but also being hard to find. And I don't know, I, I can't totally speak, I'm not the publisher, so I can't speak in terms of what they're going through exactly, but I do know that it's a struggle. And uh, with our new campaign, we've we've been mindful of shipping costs. So we, we have estimates of what the shipping will be, and those estimates are higher than our previous campaign. We just have to kind of deal with that. And we've given a range of what you could expect the shipping to be, and we're saying that we're gonna charge it in the pledge manager after. Um, yeah. Because with this, like, it's hard to forecast what the shipping rates are gonna be like a year from now, we just don't know. So we're giving like an expectation that you could have, and we'll see what ends up kind of becoming the situation later. Uh, 
but it did affect us in terms of like we um, initially had made a we have a bunch of add-ons with this campaign of different upgrades you can choose and we had at one point made like an all-in mm-hmm. pledge that just wrapped them all up together but then it just between the price tag that that added up to and then the shipping that was required to deliver all of that it just became uh, something that we were cautious people were going to be a little too squeamish about for an all-in level because yeah because of the shipping rates essentially um it's like maybe a cost that people would be interested to bear if it was reasonable shipping but when you tack that on on top of it it it, it causes us to dial back so we've essentially now got uh, like a premium level that includes the two two new games we're selling with the new fancy tokens but then the playmat and the original game and some of the other add-ons are offered separately if you choose to add them yeah yeah i think um up until now, I think a lot of Kickstarter backers have been spoiled with the whole shipping thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because traditionally the shipping was usually subsidized quite heavily by the campaign itself. Yeah. So they had to like their Kickstarter go, but they were saying, okay, we need, you know, we need 15,000 to make this thing. We need 5,000 to get this kind of shipped because it's going to be. 2000 for the container and then you know two grand for whatever so if we charge everybody like 10 pound 10 dollars shipping then that'll cover you know we'll wash our face and everything will be fine um and i think what's happening now is it's like the i work with businesses who are shipping product from manufacturers in china and i've heard people talk of their container prices going up by you know, 10 times, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some, some poor guy saying it was 3000 to get a crate. It's now going up to 21,000 to get a container yeah. through, depending on what they're doing. So, I mean, um, <clears throat> I, I have joked myself to say, I remember, I remember the glory days of Kickstarter, you know, rest in peace, 2014 <laughs> to 2021. <laughs> I raise a glass to the kind of thing, kind of thing, but in all seriousness, um, I'm interested to know if people, if there'll be people that are going, hmm, we're a print company and we're based in Canada or we're a print company and we're based in the UK or we're a print company and we're based in Germany. If the shipping is going to be kind of like such a huge thing, is it worthwhile us firing up the printing machines and maybe starting to kind of print board games? I've seen people Mm -hmm. say that and say, well, you know, saying, well, if you weren't manufacturing in China, then this none of this would have happened. It's like, well, no, because if somebody hadn't decided to eat a pangolin, then it probably would have been <laughs> fine as well. So we can't go on kind of hindsight. So it's all gonna it's all gonna kind of change. Has it um do you back a lot of Kickstarters yourself? Yeah, I have quite a um, quite a few. And is, has has the current situation has it put you has it made you more conservative with how you're backing and how often you're backing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, well, let me think. Uh, yes, of course it will. You know, the bu- the budget will matter. So essentially, it'll come down to like, yeah, yeah, what what I can fit within my budget. At some point, your budget is full, so you do have to make some pick and chooses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it's getting actually getting to play games yeah <laughs> as well that's gonna be a huge thing. and i think there was a lot of i think there was a lot of people that were sitting there going yeah i can back this and i know it's still going to be here and it says it's going to be here in like a year's time or whatever but i don't know what's going to happen to my game group i'll give you an, give you an idea of where we are with my game group the council because our our game group goes into a community building which is run by the local kind of council office. Mm-hmm. And it's been turned into it's been turned into a testing center for coronavirus. Yeah. So you can go in and you can pick up self-tests or you can actually get tested for coronavirus. And you go in and the whole place looks completely different. They've redone the floor, they've redone all the walls and stuff like that. You know, there's kind of like they have kind of like nurses hanging around the place and things like that. So it's kind of like, oh, this isn't <laughs> we're not going to be able to gather here kind of anytime soon, which has had an effect to say, well, if I'm not going to be able to gather in a public place, I'm not sure. Do I need another 
game arriving yeah. in six months, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it's kind of hard to. We'll see. You know, when you've created a game and you spent all the time to do it, and now you're selling it, and it's impossible to know whether a factor like that is affecting how well it's doing. It's kind of, mm-hmm. it's a frustrating thing because you know you, you don't want the worst thing you want is that for something that's totally out of your control to be like stifling your potential. So yeah, of course you kind of, it's, it's just been something like something that I've had to just come to terms with is like, maybe the shipping costs are affecting how many people are interested in my new game. Maybe the like fact that people can't play games is affecting that too. We'll never know. And I just have to kind of go along with, you know, if I compare how well mine's doing to how well our campaigns did three years ago, it's not even a fair comparison really, because who, who knows what factors people are considering now that they weren't then, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's not exactly like you could say you're doing that badly. <laughs> no, not at James. all. I'm not talking about doing I mean, badly. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at your, like, I'm looking at the target. And so, like, is he for real? I mean, I know he's Canadian and he's meant to be polite. But, you know, that probably came off. I'm looking at this and this is like, that probably came out as slightly American. You've been hanging around with that Jimmy Hudson, <laughs> that James Hudson too long, haven't you? <laughs> Must be. Has he been put in kind of American? <laughs> Do you speak to James Hudson at all? <laughs> you know, we talk a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, has he still got the strong kind of hair and beard game going? Yeah, I think he's grown it out in the back now. He's got. Is he? Yeah, Is he going for the mullet? At the moment, I think he said he was going to cut it Is off he... when the pandemic ended. So whenever that happens, really, yeah. Because he's very, he's very quite manly, manly, isn't he? <laughs> he's kind of got this strong kind of southernish kind of accent. He's kind of like you know. But I feel he would kind of protect you. But it is doing like really, really well. You've got, I mean, you've got about what two hundred thousand dollars at the moment. Um, and there's roughly mm-hmm. about two two weeks to go, which is... It's super exciting. Is it cool? Did you like sit here and go, well, I thought it was going to do okay based on the feedback, but has it been really kind of pleasantly um, pleasantly exciting for the kind of level that you have hit this time? Yeah, I mean, so I, I had a lot more stakes in this one because I left my job to create it. Whereas the last one, it was something I worked on over five years while I was like chipping away at it at a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really financially, my like requirements are different now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I had this like a lot more dread before we hit the launch button the day before about like, well, what if this just is a flop and what if I've worked two years and, you know, I had a lot of uh, internal struggles with nerves that night. But uh, yeah. so I'm very happy and thankful and relieved and excited to see where it's going and the, the momentum that it has. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is doing really, really well. The game itself, kind of, as I say, I'm a big, I, I've kind of recorded gushing reviews of kind of the zombie kids, zombie teens, and I'm a big fan of Mechs and Minions. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like my kind of bag if i'm being honest nice um so you know it's definitely something that's kind of i'm kind of uh, interested in if people have listened along this evening and they want to kind of find you across the various social places where do you exist on the internet mm-hmm. webs james where can they find you uh, so, I mean, ValorantVillainy.com is the one that I update about this game. Mm-hmm. And our Facebook groups also. So there's a Valorant Villainy Facebook group. And mm-hmm. then on Board Game Geek, on the forums for both Valorant Villainy games, I check them daily and I'm pretty active to respond to people there. So that's a good way if you want to reach out and chat about any of this. You cool. can strike up a, uh, a forum entry there and I'd be happy to talk. Excellent. Um, and as I say, it's got about two weeks to go in the game. Um, if you're wanting to pledge, then the let me just see the normal. Well, okay, I'm going to give you the levels and I'm going to give you some digits and some figures right now. So the retail game, the base retail game is $60, which is about £44, which is, what's that, about 90 Canadian or something like that, roughly? I don't know. 
74 is what Kickstarter. 74, right? Okay, I'm just get. I'm just yeah. pulling wild figures out yeah. of the air. Um, if you want a deluxe game, it's going to be ninety dollars or about sixty-five pounds. And if you want the premium bundle, um, it's a hundred and thirty-five dollars or about ninety-seven pounds. So there you go. Fantastic. So what I'll do is I will make sure that we put all the links in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. Um, if you want to follow, if you want to follow what we are up to, then just go to the Googles and search for "We Are Not Wizards" and you'll find us in all the various places where all the places where things that don't have wizards kind of hang out, like you know Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and and even TikTok. I know we're not 12, but we're going to hang out somewhere. Um, and you can read all our reviews by going to our blog, which is on we'renotwizards.co.uk. And you can keep an eye on this podcast by going to we'renotwizards.com. If you like what you've listened to, then please jump on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. And as we say, it's been a while since we've had a rating or a review, and I know that's probably because I've not been recording. So that's entirely on my fault. But if you'd like to do us a service or a disservice, uh, go into Apple Podcasts and drop us a rating or review. If you are going to be giving us a rating or review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes me big-headed. But at the same time, don't give me one star because it maketh me cry. And I am an ugly crier at the best of times. Give us a, something in the middle, like a five, because um, it's average. And we are a little bit average. But the person who's not been average today is rather wonderful, rather fantastic, James Van Niekerk. Thank you very much, sir, for coming along again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. I know. I can only wish you the best of luck with the rest of the campaign. Um, there's only two. Then there's only two more things to do. First thing is to remember that we're many things. But we're not wizards. Are we wizards, James? No, we're not wizards. There you go. (laughs) Definitely not wizards. Definitely not wizards. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from James. Say goodbye, James. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye, Richard. Uh, Goodbye, everyone. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and get yourself lost in a game of fun. Go and get yourself some Ludwig's Labyrinth. <laughs> Remember the V&V, <laughs> the Valor and Villery. <laughs> and if you say James yeah. Hudson, say hello from me. But till the next time, goodbye. Say goodbye. A wizard is never late. <laughs> Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 